sing you and me, every son of liberty. Hurry right away, no delay, go today. Make your daddy glad to have had such a lad. Tell your sweetheart not to pine, to be proud her boy's in line. Over there, over there, send the word, send the word over there. That the Yanks are coming, the Yanks are coming, the drums rum coming everywhere. So prepare, say a prayer, send the word, send the word to beware. We'll be over, we're coming over, and we won't come back till it's over, over there, over there, over there. Send the word, send the word over there, that the ants are coming, the ants are coming, the drums drum coming everywhere. So prepare, say a prayer, send the word, send the word to beware. We'll be over, we're coming over, and we won't come back till it's over, over there. Johnny, get your gun, get your gun, get your gun. Johnny, show the hun, you're a son of a gun. Hoist the flag and let her fly. Yankee, do, 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 or die. Pack your little kit, show your grit, do your bit. Yankee to the ranks, from the towns and the tanks. Make your mother proud of you, and the old red, white, and blue. Over there, over there. These are the footprints across Texas. I'm Charles Hebert, and our episode tonight... Prices of Fayette County, 1917 to 1952, and those stories that took place on the bluff in the Grange, Texas, and what happened to the family. So as we begin, it is 1917, and in April 1917, the war begins. The war, the Great War, the war to end all wars. The brewery has long been closed, and in order to make... Uh, a good choice, if you would, of uh, contributing to the cause for the war. The Kreishes decide to sell all of the metal, all of what they call the staves in the brewery, as scrap iron. So later on in, in, um, in years, people wonder what happened to all the equipment. It was sold as scrap iron for the war effort. 1917. Henry Lewis is still alive. Annie is still alive. Julia is still alive. Franklin is still alive. And Lena is still alive. But we know in 1920 that Henry Lewis passes away, followed in 1921 by his sister Lena. Annie comes home to stay from San Antonio. Originally, she came in in 1920 for Henry Lewis's funeral, but she never left. What's real interesting about Annie Kreische is she spends very little time in the 1920s and the 1930s at the home on the bluff. Most of her time is spent in the LaGrange Hospital and it's a real odd situation as you read um, 
the notes of the time and the uh, the newspaper clippings of the time. Annie joins the Lady Cemetery Association here in Lagrange, and lo and behold, she can check herself in and check herself out of the hospital during that period of time, much like you would. Uh, checking out of a motel and checking back in in the modern day. So those period of years uh, find some interesting things start to transpose on the, on the bluff. One of the things that, uh, that comes to the Kreischer home in 1939 is the introduction to electricity. But it's electricity not as we know it today. It was generated electricity by the co-op. And as I reviewed the notes in writing the book, is a man named George Adamchick. Now, Adamchick is a friend of the Christ's. He takes them to church at the uh, Queen of the Holy Rosary and Hosting. He takes them uh, on numerous occasions because you got to remember they didn't drive. So he introduces them to the Delco generator. The Christ's have no idea what a Delco generator is, so it's up to George Adamchick to come over and put gasoline in the generator for which they could run six lights. He also had to start the generator for the crisis. It is during these 1930s, the Great Depression sets in, that Franklin takes a job at Tiemann's Grocery, living upstairs at the grocery store, while the rest of the family lives on the bluff. Also during this period of time, there's a lot of travel back and forth from the late 1930s into the 1940s, back and forth between Julia and her cousin, Julia Ulrich from Hallettsville. And quite often as you read things that Julia would, would come over and get Julia Kreischer and they both go off to Hallettsville. And one of the stories that, uh, that's really interesting that tells you how much of a sheltered life that Julia Kreischer led on the bluff. It is somewhere in the late 1930s, um, Julia Kreischer decides to buy a Model A Ford. Well, Julia Kreischer knew nothing about the Model A's or less about driving. So she decided one day to go down to, uh, to the city of LaGrange by herself. She didn't know how to shift. She knew how to start it. She knew how to steer it, but she didn't know how to stop it. She went through a number of stop signs and a couple of red lights. And before you knew it, she got pulled over and got a couple of warning tickets for running red lights and, and uh, not yielding, if you would. So she came home and she parked the Model A in the garage and never moved it again. So her cousin, Julia, Julia Ulrich, came over. And Julia Ulrich said to her one day, uh, let's go to town. And she said, oh, no, 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 we can't go to town. She said, well, I'll drive. So, well, you can't drive because a car needs repair. So Julia Ulrich finally convinced Julia Kreischer to come up with some money, very little money, but money was precious during the Depression era, to, uh, to fix the car. So they get the car fixed and the two of them descend the bluff and they go to town. They get down the bottom of what's called the uh, the switchback road, which is a zigzag road, which is currently US 77. They get to town and Julia Kreischer says to her cousin who's driving, well, you can't go that way. And she said, well, why can't I go that way? She said, because that's the way I went and I got the tickets. So there's a, there's a little bit of an insight into the stories between them. 
It is also during this period of time in the 1930s where the state of Texas comes knocking on the door again and they want more land from around the tomb because they want to encase the tomb, so much so that the governor shows up here, gives a speech, if I owned that, it, if I lived here, rather, um, it would it would would look like it it does now. It was all overgrown. The the fences were all collapsed. It was an absolute disgrace. So the state of Texas tried to uh, to sue the Kreishes to get three acres of land around what the old tomb was, and the Daughters of the Republic of Texas played an instrumental role in that, as they pushed the narrative that it really needed to be turned into a monument, if you would, of, uh, that all Texans could be proud of, uh, Texas heroes from the Meir and the Dawson expeditions. So much so that Stoltz and company uh, got the, uh, the bid to build the new tomb made out of granite. And in 1936, if you look at the pictures, half of LaGrange was up here at the dedication, led by Mrs. George Wilrich. Now, George Wilrich's wife is, a, is an old name here because he, he was the one who sold Heinrich the property way back in the 1840s. And it was also George Wilrich, whom Heinrich lived with, doing odds and ends at the start of the Christ legacy in LaGrange, Texas. So there's all these little bits that weave in and out. In the 1940s, um, life, is, life is tough, but Franklin... Um, decides to get into agriculture, and he also decides to make investments in South Texas, primarily around Artesia Wells. He also invests in the railroad, of all things, and in the Corpus Christi area in Oasis County. And the reason we know that is when it came to probate uh, Julia's will after her death, all the cousins showed up, and I think they got like 152nd of royalties in, in all the investments that, that uh, Franklin made. The other thing he, uh, he did was terrace the bluff so that it stopped the erosion. He built a number of walls which still exist today out of stone. So Franklin is getting old. Uh, he is, he's, in his, he's in his early 80s in the 1940s when World War II breaks out. And of course, being German, they kept a very low profile here on the bluff. Going back to the World War I era, all of the German celebrations in this country ceased. Uh, German Day became a thing of the past. The, uh, the pavilion was sold to George Adamczyk in 1926. It was demolished board by board, for which he took, and he, he took it to... Uh, to a, uh, a town called Hausman, and was a Hausman Gin Road. Now that property today carries nothing, but all of the buildings that were built using the wood from the pavilion are out at Marbarger Farm in the Round Top area, and it's set up as an antique area. So there's, there's all kinds of dynamics going back and forth, and there's, there's stories that come out of the house. Again, going back to the two Julias, it was in the 1940s that uh, Julia Kreischer was killing a chicken. And as she's killing the chicken with a hatchet, she misses and cuts her finger. And she goes in and Julia, Julia Ulrich is there. And Julia Ulrich says, oh my gosh. She said, we're going to have to put a Band-Aid on that. 
And Julia Kreischer said, what's a Band-Aid? So you stop and think what a sheltered life she's, she's led. I mean, she's much of a hermit almost on this bluff at that point. So she puts a Band-Aid on, and Julia Kreischer's response to that is, provocative, how wonderful that is that there's such advancements in that. Some of the, the funny stories of the two ladies together, uh, during the summertime, they would sit out in front of the Kreischer home. And below the, the bluff on what is now uh, Fayette County Veterinary was the, uh, the outdoor theater, the Sky High Drive-In. So the ladies would sit on a stone bench on the bluff and look and watch the drive-in movie in the late 40s. And Julia Kreischer just thought that was the neatest thing. And when the wind blew in the right direction, you could hear the sound. She had never seen a motion picture. There were quite a few arguments that took place when Julia Ulrich decided to come to LaGrange and move in with Julia Kreischer. Annie dies in 1940 of influenza at the local hospital. She is buried in the LaGrange Cemetery. She's not buried with the rest of the family on the bluff. So now the only surviving members of the Kreischer family are Franklin, who's in his 80s, and Julia, who's in, she's approaching her 70s. They live on the bluff, and Franklin is stooped over. He is 88 years old in 1950 when he dies. But before that, there's a, there's a piece from Adam Check's notes how he built a bench for Franklin because he loved to read the mail. And when you stop and think that the road, the park road wasn't there, that's there now, you get, you get to understand how difficult the walk was to come from US 77 all the way to the Kreischer home for an 88-year-old man. But George Adamchek built the bench so Franklin could rest and read his mail and then take a breather and then go back to home. So before he dies, Franklin and Julia make a pact that they're going to move all the Kreischer graves to the LaGrange Cemetery. And the reason being they're worried about vandalism there is a fence across the Kreischer property between the tomb and the house to keep the trespassers away. But it doesn't stop is the trespassing that comes from the river side of the property and comes up the bluff. So there's, there's dynamics working. So as, as Franklin passes away, Julia Ulrich comes to live permanently with Julia Kreischer. And the stories that are told about those two women, another that they go to town, and uh, Julia Kreischer said, well, what are we going for? She said, well, we're going to go. We've got to go see the lawyer. And then we've got to go. Uh, we're going to grab a bite to eat. I want a cup of coffee. So Julia Kreischer gets in the car and Julia Franklin drives to town and they park after the lawyer meet. And they park in front of a cafe. And Julia Ulrich gets out on the driver's side and Julia Kreischer doesn't get out. And she said, uh, come on, we got to go get something to eat. She said, I have a terrible headache. And I really like a cup of coffee. Julia Kreischer said, no, I can't do that. She said, well, why can't you do that? She said, because Papa always told the girls you're not to go into cafes because they're much like saloons. So you can see the overbearance of the father and the dominant figure in the family. 
there's another episode in the home with the two ladies that uh, that begs to, begs one to worry, wonder rather. It's um, they don't have any heat in the Kreischer home other than fireplaces and stoves, and Judy Kreischer really didn't like to light the fireplaces. So it gets cold on the bluff. It really gets cold on the bluff because it's open to the north wind. So Julia Julia Ulrich decides to move her bed from the south side of the house into the parlor upstairs. So Julia Kreischer comes out and she said, well, what did you do that for? She said, well, I'm tired of being cold and the stove is in here. Julia Kreischer thought to herself, well, this is my house, you know. Hmm. Two weeks later, Julia Kreischer moved her bed into the, into the parlor area upstairs. The two ladies would often sit in that parlor on the cold winter nights and the spring nights when the sun was setting, and they would listen to the radio, which was really a novelty of the day. The other thing is that Julia Ulrich got a piece of linoleum put the piece of linoleum down on the floor and Judy Kreisch asked her, she said, well, what did you, what did you do that for? She said, because I am tired of the drafts coming through the floorboards on my cold feet. Julia Kreisch's response to that was, hmm. Next came a rug. Julia Ulrich put down a rug. Julia Kreisch asked, what do you want the rug for? She said, because my feet are cold when they hit the floor. A few days later, Julia Kreischer had her own rug. It wasn't always that that uh, amicable relationship between the two. There are times when they got in severe arguments, and Julia Julia Ulrich would retreat to the Kreischer bedroom, Heinrich and Josepha's bedroom. And there's a story told that Julia Kreischer had a bowl, a green bowl. And in it, she put grapes. And very quietly, she took the grapes and went over to her cousin and handed her the grapes and never said a word and walked back to her side of the house. That was her way of saying, I'm sorry. I'm glad you're here, but I'm sorry for the way that, you know, I acted. In 1952, in the spring, Julia Kreischer falls and she breaks her hip. She is hospitalized. She comes home for a short period of time and she never heals. She is in her 70s. And as, as she ages, the healing, the healing does, not, uh, does not transpire. So she dies in 1952 in the hospital in the Grange. And the reason we know it was in the hospital is George Adamchek was at a, was at a wedding. And he got a telephone call from the LaGrange Hospital. And without even reacting, in his notes, he said, I know what that call would be because I was expecting it. Julia Kreischer dies a wealthy woman. She has invested wisely, perhaps because she learned all the, the reasons behind the downfall and the hard times of the 1870s and the 1880s and how hard the family had to work and what her mother had to do to keep that family going. She is buried in the LaGrange Cemetery. But before she dies, she and, and George Adamchek reach an agreement. And the agreement is that all of the Kreischer property will be 
vested to Queen of the Holy Rosary Catholic Church in hosting. Because, as Julia Kreischa said, I was baptized a Catholic by Father Gurry, and I want the property to go to the Catholic Church with the understanding that the graves will be in perpetual care to this day. She also agrees and puts stipulations in her will about the tollers, about the gold pieces, who would get those. She wanted her, uh, her granddaughter to get the toller, and the toller is a, is a Prussian gold coin, uh, which is still in the family to this day, and the five $20 gold pieces are still in the family to this day. She also put the stipulation in that the land is not to be sold. It is to be retained by the Catholic Church for their purposes. So in the mid-1950s, after probate and after all the, the back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, Julia Ulrich is the executor of the estate. Julia Ulrich dies in 1957. The property is with the Catholic Church. They had a caretaker that lived in the, uh, the Kreischer home. It is 400 acres almost. In 1966, the Catholic Church makes a decision to sell the property to a developer who builds Frischhoff on the remaining acreage. It's a sad time. It is really a sad time. The rest of the money from the sale of the estate goes to the poor children in San Antonio, the San Antonio Archdiocese. In 1977, Texas Parks and Wildlife gains possession of the property, the final 40 acres, because that's all that's left after development. The original plans called for the Kreischer home to be turned into a restaurant and as a resort. Uh, there was supposed to be an amphitheater built down by the river, which was one of the not so great engineering feats because the river floods. So. The story winds down, and uh, a neat story of a neat family here on the bluff in the Grange, Texas.